This is Radical Love Life, an ongoing series of podcasts and special events where we explore faith outside the boxes. Hosted by Mark Dilcom and Kelly Wilson. Hey, Kelly, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a sunny day, and uh, um, you can see I'm here in my my home office, uh, getting getting ready for the holidays. Um, yeah, it's a good day. How are you doing? As I always say, and it's an honest truth, I am freaking awesome. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> um, it's good. To, it's good to be. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, what are we? Uh, what are we talking about? Well. My dear friend, uh, we have an awesome guest today, and so we're just so fortunate to have her. Uh, it's Amber Contorna Wild, and um, we're going to talk to her about a whole bunch of things and her experiences. And she's a publisher of three books. But uh, let me give a little bit of bio to our listeners who may not know Amber. Uh, she's a LGBTQ plus advocate and a gatherer of marginalized people. I love that. Um, as a gay woman, she uh, lives with an invisible disability, but she specializes in uh, bringing messages of diversity hope and self-acceptance uh, to those who have been pushed to the margins, something that I am very familiar with. Um, she is the host of uh, the Unashamed Love Collective, which we're going to talk about. Uh, the collective itself is a safe haven for queer folks and their allies uh, to foster supportive community. Uh, she also leads uh, retreats called Cultivating, bleh, try that again, Cultivating Community, which are uh, small, intimate group gatherings that uh, build lasting relationships with like-minded people. And uh, with that, welcome to the show, Amber. Well, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you. Um, I so look forward to this. Uh, I, you know, it's just, um, you know, as we were sharing before we started recording here, uh, I, the, the synergy and synchronicity of why people engage into conversations with us is so amazing and the love that comes forth out of this uh is really going to be an exciting thing so um yeah i'm let's get right into it um so i always like to start off uh questions with well first of all tell us a little bit about uh your childhood and what, uh, growing up because i think people will be really interested to hear about this part <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of the most common questions for sure <laughs> Oh, yeah, um, here we go. All right. Tell us your origin story. Everything. <laughs> so kids, have your, have your seatbelts buckle because she has a story here. Go for it. <laughs> so I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is like the, you know, epicenter of all the evangelical ministries. Um, but not only that, my dad is the executive producer of Adventures in Odyssey. So I yes. drop. I grew, uh, I grew up listening to that in the car with my dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so for folks that are not familiar with Focus on the Family, they do exist out there. Um, you want to tell folks what that what they do? Oh, gosh. I mean, it, it's I feel like it's so hard to like put into a, a, a mm. sentence or a, like, even a paragraph. Like it's because for those on the inside, it's it's your world, right? Like it was kind of the hierarchy of who you look to for family and marriage advice and counsel um it was founded by james dobson and he uh really focused primarily on developing messages for of course the straight traditional marriage and then a very traditional family um and family values and so that i mean my whole upbringing 
was very much encased on the inside of that because of who my father was and because of what he did. Um, I was homeschooled and my world was very small. It was very white, straight, Christian. Everything, like everybody believed exactly what we believed. There was no diversity of any kind. And it was, that was intentional. They intentionally controlled that environment to try and create um, us to be these, these culture warriors, right? That would then carry on the message to the next generation. Um, and of course, as a kid, I knew nothing else. That was just my world. Um, and I knew nothing outside of it. And I was mostly happy and, um, you know, had parents that loved me, but as I've gotten older and of course, with the fallout of my coming out, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and then of course, with the research of my newest book, I started uncovering more and more of the history of evangelicalism and the history of focus in the family and the eugenics involved behind that, which I don't think most people are even aware of. And so the more that I kind of did that research and started uncovering things, um, I think one of the most shocking pieces of information that I came across was the fact that there was this gentleman named Paul Pobino, who was an atheist eugenicist. And um, he was the one that, like, he advocated for the forced sterilization of what you would call the unfit or the mentally unwell, um, all in effort to try and control the population to be straight, white, healthy, male dominant, patriarchal. Um, and so it was intentional then that, that women would stay at home because they wouldn't be dominating the workplace. And then they would be having children and they would be raising them with these same principles. And it was all very calculated. And what people don't realize is that James Dobson was a protege of Pocono's and trained directly under him. Okay, so Amber, you just did a huge mic drop. Yeah, mic <laughs> that, drop, mic drop, but wow. just, just brace yourself throughout the story because it just, it just gets worse so and worse. Our, for our listeners, I, I had no idea that Amber was going to say this, so we'll definitely dive into that. So, and when I set this up that you needed to buckle your seatbelts, I'm glad <laughs> I did that because you just kind of knocked me out of my chair on that. Yeah, it's a lot to absorb. Like the more I did the research... And the more I dove into it, like the bigger my eyes got and the more I felt like my head was going to explode because I realized how calculated it all was. And I think a big part of me growing up thought, well, what my dad does making children's radio dramas is harmless, right? Um, but the more research I did, I was like, it is not harmless. It is planned. It is calculated. It is thought out. Um, two years after I came out, they released a package series and they had an adult version um, that was a 12-week study for adults about the traditional marriage and family unit. It was called mm -hmm. The Family Project and it came with all the workbook things. And then they released an Adventures in the Odyssey version for kids age 6 through 12 that mirrored the adult version mm -hmm. and it also came with a guidebook of questions to ask your kids and talk with them about. Um, and so it addressed, of course, issues of homosexuality and what marriage and family should look like and all these things. So it's very calculated in the way that they try to mold these minds through entertainment from a very young age to believe mm -hmm. and see the world exactly as they want them to. Oh, wow. Wow. 
And I, you know, I would say this sounds like a dystopian science fiction novel, if not for the fact that in the or, 20th or century, or... we saw actual live people trying to do this. So, um, I feel Margaret Atwood be, it would be saying, yeah, I've written about this. <laughs> and for the people that don't know who Mar Margaret Atwood is, she uh, wrote, um, a number of books, not least which the handmaid's tell, but, uh, should read her work. Holy moly. Uh, uh, wow, Amber. Okay, that's a way to start this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go up. Oh, okay. So um, we'll definitely talk more about that. Um, so let's go back to, though, what was the... I, it's heartbreaking to read this part, but uh, but also I, I love how you've, you've, you've gone beyond the heartbreak, and that's when you came out to your parents back in 2012. So can you enlighten us a little bit about that and then what, what, what happened with the family unit at that point? Well, um because of my upbringing and because I was so steeped in purity culture, my sexuality was very much um, eluded me until I was in my early 20s. I really had no idea because I had no exposure or vocabulary to put with it. Um, and so it wasn't until I was in my early 20s I even started piecing together the fact that I was gay. Um, and then, of course, I went through a, a season of having to wrestle with that because that was the one thing you were never supposed to be. Um, and so I had to kind of do my own of my theology and, and deconstructing and, and figuring out what I believed myself outside of my family. And that was brutal. Um, but then, of course, came telling my family, um, which was more brutal. And it was for people that are familiar with evangelicalism, it was exactly everything that you would expect it to be. Um, my parents compared me to murderers and pedophiles. They called me selfish for doing this to the family. Um, they said the fact that I was suicidal was my own fault for being in sin. Um, and they took away my keys to their house. Uh, so it was every bit as devastating as one would think. Although I think leading up to it, feared the worst, but I didn't think that it would actually happen. Um, and, and right, our right. relationship immediately changed. It was never the same. Wow, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That's, I mean, you you hear these stories and you know that it that it happens, but you you kind of hope that familial love will supersede mm -hmm. those ideas, and that there won't be that kind of like religious qualification for mm -hmm. for parental love. And it, mm -hmm. when it happens, it's really heartbreaking. I'm so I'm so sorry that that. Well, and I think for me, my right. family unit was so close in so many ways growing up because everything was about focusing on your family and yeah. developing those relationships. And there were countless times that my mom said, <clears throat> um, Amber, friends will come and go, but your family will always be there for you. Mm -hmm. And that was the theme that kept coming back. And so to then get to this point where I needed them the most and they turned their back on me. Um, I mean, like I said, our, our relationship immediately changed and it just eroded over a period of months um, before it just cut off completely. And it's, and I mean, I've been out for almost 12 years and we haven't made contact in almost a decade. So. Like focus on the family terms and conditions <laughs> might apply. Right. It's almost amazing how, like, how yeah. the, Focus on the family ideal is actually tearing families apart rather than living. Oh my God, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Amber, not to, to to dwell on it, but just you know, again, it's 
it this story is is so mm, wow i like I, thankfully i didn't experience that when i came out to my parents i mean we had our bumps but uh we got past them um do you have like so for grandparents or any siblings or are you just now disconnected from that family i'm disconnected from everybody in my family well, I, I do have a younger sibling, um, a younger brother. Yeah. But all of my family and relatives were so steeped in that belief themselves that all of my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody cut me off. And so I haven't, I lost all of my family. Were, did anybody, were there any event, uh, attempts to kind of convert you back or? Yes. Yes, it's amazing how, like, even the relatives you don't know very well or aren't very close to come out of the word works and, and, and say that they love you in those moments and how it's their job to, like, love you back to God, right? Um, <laughs> and convince you that you're wrong. So, yeah, I had some of those. Um, mm. I had some of, like, um, people being nice to my face and then sending me nasty emails afterwards about um, all that I was doing to the family and how I was ripping them apart and... Um, you know, if this were oh, God, so your family be. would support you, and yeah. um, not one family member agrees with you, and that's how you know this is from God. You know, oh. a lot of a lot of guilt, a lot of um, manipulation, a lot of passive aggression. Um, my parents would love to have, of course, gotten me into some kind of escape therapy program. Yep, uh, but fortunately, I was just going to ask, better. wasn't that part I, of that? that point, yeah, yeah, I knew better, um, yeah. and. So you never did not a formal conversion therapy program. Okay. However, I, I mean, people think of conversion therapy only existing within programs. Um, but I see it as yeah. a system of beliefs um, yeah. that is in our pulpits and around our dinner tables and permeating families, whether you go to an actual program or not. Well said. Um, because I never physically went to um, Exodus or any of the other ones. Family yeah. Hope, yeah. any of that. However, yeah. I was certainly affected conversion therapy and the beliefs of and the internalized homophobia and the fear and the shame and like to a strong strong degree and here we are so let's 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 i it, it is so hard to even form words that feel authentic because of your experiences you know both kelly and i have said it you know we're so sorry to that you experience that, like, and it 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 comes from a place of love, and and just I I just feel the hurt, and the and yours is yours is a story of many. Like this is not just one person or a few. I know folks that are that are friend dear friends to mine, including a one that went through the actual uh, conversion therapy, um, and thankfully his life is restored. And yeah, you know he has he has a key. He survived is the best way to say it. And, and it actually flourishes. So it's not even survival, it's flourishing. But I'm going to ask you a question because you clearly, as you've gone forth uh, in, in your life here, um, when did you start to sense a call that you were going to help other queer folks uh, deal with the trauma that they are experiencing? Uh, well, I came out in 2012 and probably somewhere mid 2015, I started kind of feeling that. Mm -hmm. um, and then what happened is I actually sat down with a uh, transgender pastor and mm -hmm. told my story enough, like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something like this with mm -hmm. this, but I don't know 
what that looks like or how to proceed or, you know, and they kind of sat and just poked and prodded and asked me a series of personal questions. I didn't really know them, so I'm not quite sure what they, I didn't know what direction they were going or what they were looking for. Um, and then they sat back and just looked me in the eye and they said, Amber, embedded in your identity is responsibility to be a person. And that just sank into my spirit and never left. Um, and so that kind of propelled me forward to, to start sharing my story um, and then start using my story as a um, conversation piece to A, help queer people feel less alone in their, in their story because it's not just my story. This mm -hmm. is a common story of hundreds of thousands of queer people all over the world. Yeah. Um, so using my story as a beacon of hope, but also um, to create conversations as a catalyst for change um, and, and show the importance of, of inclusion. And here you are. Um, you mentioned that you've, um, you're an author of three books and you're working on a fourth, which we're going to talk about. I am. Um, well, going through two of those books, there's uh, Unashamed, uh, which is a, um, um, a guide right? Uh, yes. For queer folk. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then also your most recent book that's out is uh, Out of Focus. Um, I looked at the, um, your dedications and uh, they're, they're actually not to any one individual, which I, okay, that's typically people do have like a specific person or one or two people, you know, it could be a spouse or somebody else, but you write it a little differently. And I'm a Actually, I'm going to read what you put in uh, one of them. It is, oh, it is so powerful. Um, and that's why I wanted to share it with uh, all the listeners. So your dedication is to every LGBTQ person who has wrestled in isolation, who has felt the sting of rejection, who has been scarred by religion, or who has lost family in the name of love. To those who have found the courage to live transparently in the eyes of others, and to those who do not feel safe enough to make their identity known, this book is for you. You are seen, you are heard, you are loved, and you are enough. I is so powerful, it's so beautiful. Um, and God, what a beautiful way to, to just, it captures everything of what is spirit. Yeah. And, and um, we just had a conversation with another awesome guest who was talking about, um, God and love. Love is God. God is love. And, you know, that was, it was a powerful conversation in and of itself, but here you are, you're just pouring forth that, like, there's such healing salve just in those few words right there. And then of course there's the rest of the book, but, um, tell us about these dedications. You know, why did you write it the, the way you did? What was your inspiration? If you can. I think my goal, when I write my books, I'm writing to people like me i'm writing to those who feel isolated and alone in their story who maybe feel hopeless who feel lost who feel like they have to choose between their faith and their sexuality um who are ultimatums between who they are and their family or their job or their church um and it's a story i know well i know what it means to sit in the midst of that story and so when I write these books, I want people to feel like we're just having a conversation and uh, I'm sitting and talking with them and sharing my experience and my wisdom and what I've learned and 
So I think for these dedications, I kind of just want people to read it and just like, just take a breath and feel seen um, and just let their nervous system relax because they found somebody understand what it's like to be in their shoes. Uh, and I think that's the whole goal is to reduce the isolation factor because when you're coming out of that space, you think you're the only one that could ever show up in this evangelical Christian family. Um, and then you realize, actually, you're not. And there's a whole lot of us. Um, and there's people that will love and accept you and help walk you through the process. And so that's mm -hmm. what I want them to feel. To feel held. Powerful. You said something that um, is is beautiful in its own self, to take a breath. Um, because when we're traumatized, I was traumatized, you were traumatized. So trauma sets us on edge, right? We're, we we're always reactive. holding our breath. We're always holding yeah, it we're always holding our breath. Water, we're watching. Mm -hmm. yeah. Always. 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 It is so hard. That's one of the hardest things for me in this journey that I've been on is to, to quit being on edge. Just, you know, just, ah. Just let the breath out. And I do it through meditation and, and that's in my building. Certainly I make progress, but I am also a work in progress. Yeah. And um, say, thank you for saying that because a lot of people really don't, <laughs> even, even though so many of us are traumatized as part of the human condition. And of course there's many levels and many reasons why most of us don't even understand, you know, how to put language to the trauma or what does it do to our bodies you know, the, the physiological elements of that, just to always be on like edge and just, ah. I don't even realize that we're holding our breath until somebody tells us. Breathe. Right. It's like, breathe, yeah. breathe. Right. And, then breathe. The, and then the tears of relief come. Yes. Or the, yes. Or the you know, whatever. Yes. And that's the, what I the want. The feeling that you haven't allowed. Open the book and instantly feel safe with me. Mm. Just breathe and relax. And if they don't have anywhere else in their world where they feel safe to be themselves, I want them to feel that in the moments that they're reading my book and then that's what flipping those pages. Mm. So uh, let's talk about Unashamed, uh, coming out guide. Um, and is it having the impact that you hoped? It is. Yeah. It's been really amazing to see it, uh, what actually prompted the start of it. Cause I had actually written my first book, swore I'd never write a book again. Okay. <laughs> ended up at a conference with my book table next to the, a publisher. And she kept eyeing my book all weekend, and I was like, "Don't even talk to me." So she, not a never chance. again. And then in that same weekend, I led a workshop on coming out to non-occurring. And when Q and A came, um, the room was packed, um, probably several hundred people in the room, standing room only. Mm. Opened it for Q and A, and I kid you not, half the room shot their hand in the air, oh, and there was this audible gasp of like, <laughs> like wow. the sea of hands. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in that moment, that's when I was like, okay, there's a massive need for this. Um, and so I kind of took all the most commonly asked questions that I was getting and just turned it into a guide um, using some of my story, but also other people's story um, that gave me permission to include their you know, a piece of their lives and just created this holistic approach to coming out um, from a faith-based perspective from starting with demolishing internalized homophobia and where that comes from. Mm -hmm. And then knowing when you're ready to come out and how to navigate that. And then how to set healthy boundaries because we're not taught how to do that. 
We have nope. exactly right. We have we don't know boundaries. No, we don't nothing about boundaries. Boundaries are bad. Um, trusting your gut is bad. Yeah. You're in like shut off your inner voice, and so the heart is deceitful, right? All all those things, and so teaching people to actually listen to that inner voice, the two men, um, to set healthy boundaries, to manage self care, to learn to love themselves, from how to navigate difficult family relationships. Um, how to navigate grief and loss that comes with that process. And so that's kind of what Unashamed was. It was actually very easy to write because all the material was there. Um, it was different than a memoir about my own personal experience. It was it was just a holistic, you know, a, a collaboration of our experiences and just setting it up in a way that made sense to people. It's just very practical. And at the end of every chapter, there's a, just a short snippet for from for parents and allies and family members of like how can i support my loved one through this phase right here what can they do uh -huh. that would be helpful and just oh, a short great. snippet of a few things and so it also like helps guide parents and and um allies through the process of how to support for people that are, are in the process that's that's awesome and i can tell you as a, a parent of a queer child myself i those kind of resources are always Mm -hmm. super helpful because we uh, we find ourselves kind of navigating navigating those family situations as as well um i you know i have a, a question that's more of a I, you know we've been very emotional here for a few minutes so it's more of an intellectual pursuit i'm a bible scholar myself um and i know that for a lot of people um you know who are not affirming and even for some people who are queer themselves but grew up in the church that there are some scriptural you know some understandings of scripture that they gotta get over to be able to um you know to be able to be truly affirming and i'm always curious um of how you know different people's journeys work in that fashion like how how you wrestle with the clobber passages and interpretations that that would be um restricting but uh, but aren't really true to our th authentic selves well, thankfully, we have a lot of really good resources now that we didn't have 10, 15 years ago. And so I feel like that, in a way, makes it easy um, mm -hmm. because it's laid out very clearly um, through resources like um, Colby Martin's Unclobber is one of my favorites because it's very down-to-earth, mm -hmm. very practical from going between his story and the clobber passages back and forth and, and yeah. navigate that very approachable way that's not overly academic. Um, David Gushy's Changing Our Mind is another great one that walks people through. Um, I appreciate his allyship and, um, he's had a lot of clogs in the evangelical world. So for him to be an ally and speak to that, I think is very helpful. And, um, Kathy Baldock's work, I think is, uh, extremely transformative, uh, in the work that she does and the research that she's unearthed, um, with the, the documentary 1946 coming out and, uh, in her mm -hmm. forthcoming book, all those things make it so much easier than trying to navigate it yourself in a world where there aren't any resources. Uh, the internet hasn't caught up to connect us all yet. All the, you know, all those things. Like now we have podcasts like this and we have organizations for parents like Free Mom Hugs and we have um, places where queer people can go and be with other queer people of faith and we have great books. So I feel like it's not that the inner wrestling is any less challenging, but the access 
is so much more abundant. And I think that um, makes the process so much easier than it was for me when I was trained. That is, that's amazing that those, that those resources are there and that uh, to the point where people can specialize, that you don't have to, you don't have to do it all yourself, like be the Bible scholar and the evangelist and the minister and the therapist and the self healer, but that in community that there's now enough of a community being built that, um, that, you know, that people can have different focus, which is great. Thank you for that. Yeah. I love that. Um, your faith. <laughs> I'm sure it's been challenged. <laughs> you say that. You've, had, say that. you've had one or two crises in there. Um, where, where are you in your faith journey at this point? If you don't mind sharing. Well, I have deconstructed a whole lot. <laughs> uh, my faith looks very different now than it used to. Um, and I think some of that has come from my own experience and some of it has come from the work that I do um, and seeing how much harm has been done to queer people in the name of God. Uh, so I think there's value in spirituality. I think there's value in divine, um, but I don't think that that has to happen inside the structure of a church building. <laughs> um, you can find God anywhere. And I love personally being out in nature or walking a labyrinth or having meaningful conversations with people like this. Um, those things are, are deeply meaningful and feed my soul. Um, and I am not currently in a space where being in a church building is, is feeding. Um, that I, I've gone through different phases. You know, I've, I've done the like, I want to be queer and still in a church thing. And um, I think something about the the time period of the pandemic um i was already kind of moving away from that a bit more uh, but i think the pandemic period uh really kind of helped me realize a lot of my own religious trauma and uh just that i don't i don't connect with the divine in that way that i used to um i I see a lot of hardening to people in the name of god still in in church spaces and under the umbrella of the term Christian. Um, and that's very hard to associate with. So yeah. it it's a challenge um, when you're wanting to walk people into a space where they can, I guess my, my, my job, I feel like, is to always bring people out of this kind of toxic space and help them heal from that religious trauma and then open them up to whatever faith looks like for them. Because um, for some people, that is still staying at church. For some people, it's never walking in a church again. For some people, they walk away from faith altogether. And like all of those things are acceptable, um, especially mm-hmm. with so much trauma involved. And um, they're no less loved by God than anyone else. And so I think that is always my goal is to, uh, to open them up to those options and allow them to explore and to wonder and to doubt and to question um, which is something that we were never allowed to do. Or I think there's something very freeing about getting out of that box and being opened up to all the mystery and diversity and beauty um, that is available to us through humanity, through the divine nature. Um, and that is one of the biggest gifts of. of, of... Yeah, your faith deepens, and yes. you are a living yes. example of that. Living yeah. proof. I feel like I've met some of the most raw, authentic, honest people 
um, since I've come out. I, I think I had been looking for those people all my life. And it's not like I always lived in this Barbie doll world where everybody wore a mask and put on this plastic happy smile where everything was okay all the time, even though it wasn't. But nobody talked about it. And um, getting to this side, like being able to connect with those people in a, in a way that's rich and meaningful, um, you have to go through some shit to get there. Like, can you say shit? Like, you, yes. You have to go through some shit to get there. <laughs> You don't arrive there by accident, right? You don't just like suddenly land on this side of deconstruction. Like, it's not going work to get there. And so once yeah. you've gotten there, like these people have done some work and they're just incredible people to be, um, to be. Well said. I, um, yeah, we don't land in, uh, in deconstruction and just go like, oh, hey, great. It, How'd it's... you end up here? <laughs> yeah, I like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> It is, um, I'm not making light of it because, you know, I'm on this journey of deconstruction myself. And it sucks some days. It sucks a lot of times because, you know, there's a lot of questioning uh, internal and then external. And, you know, I'm talking about, you know, today there's so many resources out there that you share about. And of course, there's, there's, but even with the resources, it's still an internal process. Yes. It is, it is still deprogramming yes. what we acquired yes. and um i have a dear friend um uh mela that she said something to me that resonates so strongly in this moment that she was not raised in a faith right and she she's gay and um she got introduced to a church group while she was in college it was there that she learned that she was not okay and she learned shame for who mm -hmm. she is and had to now unprogram that, right? And deprogram that. And so she's on her own deconstruction. But my point to that is this, these are things that are learned. We do not, we're not born into this experience. Mm -hmm. With this, we learn this. Yes. And that's a part of this. And that 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 journey is is painful, it's hurtful, but yet it is ultimately rewarding because what when you get through this, it's you know, it's like the hero's journey. Like you have to. You have to go in and you have to come back out. And when you do, though, you will be richly rewarded with that authenticity and a, and a level of um, humanity and humility, just all of those things that that come forth with us. And then we're called to go, go and do more with it. Well, so. I think a lot of it, too, is shedding that shame, the layer of the layers uh, of shame that's, that you acquire. Mm -hmm. um, oh. That takes a lot of intentional work um, to learn to... Love yourself. I was speaking to a group recently and somebody asked me something about how do I learn to love myself again? Yeah. And I was like, I don't think it's again. I don't think we ever loved ourselves to begin with. Yeah. It's probably for the first time. Again, that you never did before. Like it's yeah. learning to love yourself for the very first time. Amen. And that is a process. Well, especially so if you... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, go. I was just yeah. going to say, if you're steeped in a culture where shame is shame is almost a virtue it's a thing that kind yeah. of leads you leads you to repentance that yes. leads you to protect oh, yourself gosh, from yeah. doom yeah and then going back and saying you know even you know if jesus says you know love your neighbor as yourself not everybody realizes that there's an implicit understanding that you will love yourself like if i love yeah. everyone the way that yeah. i loved myself when i was 12 i would have been a real jerk um, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's interesting. 
turning point. that around backwards mm-hmm. um, and being like, you know, Jesus thought you were going to, you know, assumed that you were going to love yourself. It's probably time yeah. to start. Yeah. Well, that's huge. I oh, God. Huge. You know, thank you for sharing that, Amber, because, you know, a, um, I just, again, thinking about my own story, I was so uh, tied directly to my own uh, uh, f- uh, journey of faith is my sobriety as well. So those, mm-hmm. those two came together uh, uh, as a package, <laughs> a hell of a package, right? <laughs> um, and um, I just remember being at a uh, Buddhist retreat four years after I was sober, had already broken away from, I it was, I, I had, you know, I was an angry atheist at the time of sobriety and then had a spiritual awakening and then immersed in that and was doing my deconstruction or reconstruction and everything else. And then it all blew apart. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to explore Buddhist uh, traditions and see if maybe that resonates. And I'm at a retreat. And it was in that retreat that I was introduced with the notion of uh, loving compassion that I had to give to to myself. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I realized how much shame. And I was four years sober. So (laughs) I thought I had worked the steps. I had done all that. I'm, you know, made my moral inventory, you know, all the steps have done. And I was like, holy smokes. I, I, I had no idea how much shame I, I was yeah. hearing with me still well, in that time. Yeah, so. I think I've, like, as I was writing and, like, examining my life, I just realized every area of my, as- like, every aspect of my life and everything that I had ever struggled with was rooted in shame. Yeah. And, like, to see how, like, everything that you ever felt bad about or anything you ever hated about yourself or that you struggled with, like, all of it was rooted in shame. And that, that that was the common thread, the common core that came through all of it. And that's why you put out the guide. So I I just I just think it's awesome that that it's, it exists out there with the others. Uh, but you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Unashamed. Um so let's change gears a bit and let's uh, talk a little bit about um your program that you created that uh unashamed love collective and why don't you tell us a little bit about that well this kind of my pandemic baby uh when we couldn't meet in person anymore because i I love to do events i love to go speak and do moderated dialogues in person and hear other people's stories over q a so that's one of my favorite things and then when the pandemic hit we couldn't do that um and a lot of people don't have a safe space to go. And so I created the Unashamed Love Collective and it's an online space where people gather. And so we gathered um, in a safe space. It's membership based. Um, so it keeps the assholes away, which I love because um, people don't want to pay to be an asshole. And so what makes real that true? Is that fundamentally true? People won't pay. They'll just do well, it. Well, we haven't had it yet. So, um, so that's good. I laugh because they'll, gla- never... they'll gladly do it for free. They'll gladly do it for free, but they don't want you to do it. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm out there. So, right. they them away, which I love. Um, yep. But it's full of queer people who are deconstructing, um, allies, parents of queer children, and just gives this safe space because um, some people maybe don't have an affirming faith community near them, or they don't have somewhere where they can go and be understood in this way and you can come into this space and everybody just gets it um because most of them are all from some kind of evangelical or conservative background 
And so they just feel instantly seen. Like we had somebody, an older lady join a couple months ago. And at the end of our first meeting that she had been a part of, she just sat there and cried. And she's like, I've been waiting for 50 years to have the conversation we just had today. Uh, and I was like, wow. yes. Like that is why we do this is like <laughs> for people to come, they find a place that feels like home. And so we've read a number of books on a number of topics. We've hosted an incredible number of authors and had great dialogues. Um, we build community in a safe space. Uh, we get to know one another. We do a variety of things, but it just is, um, it's a place of belonging for people that need that space. And so uh, it's actually open year round now for people to join so they can uh, register and be a part of the community at any time. And and it's small enough that it's um, not hard to get to know people. You know, it's not like you walk in and there's like 800 people in this group. You know, uh, we've got about 35, 40 people. So it's it's very small. And uh, you can make friends easily and find people maybe in your local area or um, or become Facebook friends. And, you know, it's just kind of an instant um, group of friends that uh, you plug into. And so uh, it's been it's been a real gift. Uh, what's the web address? And yes, folks, we'll put it in the notes as well, but what is uh, the... I'm ashamed love collective.com. There you are. Straightforward. Uh, folks do check it out. I was on the website and, he, um, you're going to see some names familiar to radical love live in there as well. So there are some folks that have been on part of this group. And, you know, as we were talking, um, uh, at the top of this, there's, there's this, there, you know, I use the word synergy and synchronicity and it's, clearly there and it's by design. Um, so these spaces that are opening up, whether it's through our podcasts or what Amber is doing through the collective and the people that she brings into this, or, you know, this is the work that needs to be done because we're, you know, this, I'm putting my personal spin on this, but this is the evolution of faith, right? Yeah. We, so many of us are at the point now where it's like, yeah, what we currently were served doesn't work anymore. And and I'm, but I'm not willing just to be out there in the, um, I, I personally, I say I'm a wilderness by design, but I, I mean that in the context that I, I love being in that space because that's where I, I get to go be as, um, rambling a bit here, but, you know, just to tie back to an old friend of ours of the program, Alicia Crosby Mack, mm. um, <laughs> and I'm, I know, you know, Alicia, so yes. in her work and stuff like that. She loves to say, and she claims it, I am spiritually promiscuous. <laughs> and I love that because that's exactly what I am. I am spiritually promiscuous. I like, I don't want to be married up to just one particular tradition or theology or anything else. I just want to know it all. And then yeah. that allows me to build out my faith and my well, framework. And that. that's what we're talking about here. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so the collective is community, it's conversations, it's, uh, uh, you had book readings. Uh, so what else are you going to be doing as you go, go forward? What, what can people find, expect with, uh, being in that community with you? In the past, we've had, um, we've read one book every month and then we actually hosted the author of that book. Um, cause we do, we do a virtual gathering at the end of every month. And so mm -hmm. we would host the author in the group and interview them live, which was always cool and a great time. Um, the people in the community currently are wanting to foster more relationships amongst themselves. And so we've kind of pulled back and, and downsized our books to three books um, a season. Um, so basically one book every other month. Um, and they all got to kick and vote their, um, their books in this season. And so they were all uh, chosen by our community. And then we, we post 
discussion questions every week within the group so that people can dialogue and engage around the content that we're reading. Um, and then we meet virtually at the end of the month and talk and dialogue and break out into small groups so that everybody can dialogue and get to know one another there and um, have some really deep and meaningful conversation. Uh, we come back together as a whole group and kind of debrief and, and get to share. And so, um, so we're kind of taking a bit of a different spin right now. And, and some of the things we're doing, we always do a fun, like secret Santa at Christmas. That's been one of our favorite things that we do every year so that people that Brilliant. don't maybe have family or a place to connect, um, or give and receive gifts can do that in this space. And so it's one of people's favorite events that we do. Um, so our fourth, fourth year doing it, I think. Um, so it's done some of those we've hosted, um, some really great trainings we've brought in. We had a great training on non-binary awareness a couple months ago, and that was really well done and uh, great to learn about just different aspects of of not only queer identity, but other marginalized identities. We've done stuff on anti-racism. We've done stuff on mental health. We've done stuff on um, boundaries. We've done, you know, so just trying to not only talk about deconstruction all the time, but also these other aspects of our lives where maybe we didn't get the instruction that we needed or we want to learn so we can be better allies to other marginalized groups and so trying to always kind of expand and grow our understanding of ourselves and the world around us wow i want to sign up i'm going to be yeah, there. Too. You, will yes. see, you will see me soon <laughs> i love it i just freaking love this it's um wow so nurturing you said something though that i'm gonna go back just for you were talking about the secret Santa and I just had a moment of heartbreak because you said something and I, it, it, so do you find people in your community that this is their only, their enlighten me because I just, like I said, I just felt a heartbreak for a moment. Um, I would say a lot of, I would say we're probably about 7% LGBTQ yeah. and about 30% allies and parents. Yep. Um, but it is, a very common story that the people in that group have been ostracized from their family to some degree. Um, so for some of them, you know, this may be the only gift exchange they have or one of the only, or maybe they still go home to see their family, but it's super awkward and they're misgendered all weekend, or they yeah. have to go alone because yeah. their partner can't come or, you know, so even if they're not completely estranged from their family, it still comes at a cost um, and to be in relationship with that family. And so I guess it just goes back to like, this is the safe space for them to be. And this is a safe space for them to belong. And so even at the beginning of our meeting last month, we just opened up with a few minutes to talk about the holidays for anybody that needed to share something or wanted to share something that was either good or really, really hard because, excuse me, because they don't, maybe they don't have a place to process that. Um, maybe their maybe their holiday was really difficult, but they don't have anywhere to talk about it. Um, or maybe um, they have things that they're thankful for because they just got married, but they can't tell their family or they can't bring that person home. And so it's an awkward thing to say that they're thankful for. Or, you know, so those kind of things. We just open up space that they don't have anywhere else to be able to process and, and feel oh. support because it's not, we sit there and we're like, well, we're not going to fix it. We're just going to hold space for you. And that's really hard. And I'm sorry. And yeah. For you. And the yeah, way that another... these people show up for one another, I think is one of the most beautiful things. Um, Absolutely. They, we've had people that have gotten married and other people have driven across country to come and be at their wedding. And uh, we've gotten people that 
maybe just met in the group last week, but one of them was being evacuated for a hurricane. And the other one's like, well, I live two hours north, you can come stay with me. And so it's just been really beautiful to see the lasting connections um, that have been formed out of the group, but like truly deep, <laughs> meaningful relationships. Love at work. Um, amazing. The, the journey from what, at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about that kind of like dry, sterile definition of family mm-hmm. that that organization was trying to define and establish. And now you're talking about this kind of richer, authentic, just real, like people kind of creating or finding yeah. their own people. Um, yeah. it's, uh, I'm grateful that, uh, that you're doing that work. Beautiful space. It is a beautiful space. The world is better because of what you're doing. Um, we're getting close to you know, wrapping up our time together, Amber. And I, 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 I had a couple more questions and this one's not a fun question. Uh, it's not directed to you, but it's just, you know, you're, you know, you're here, what you're doing. Um, and you, we see our culture and our society in not a very good space. And I'm being too kind to even say it that way. Let's just call it what it is. It's a, it's, it's a very dark space for a lot of our, um, queer family members. Um, where do you see our biggest priorities? What, how, how are we going to get past? What do we need to do? Like I just, World peace. <laughs> it's like it almost sounds like a Miss America question, but <laughs> but, 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 but you 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 you're in touch with this community. You have you have your own experiences, and where's the fire in your belly that's saying this is this is this is our call to action? Uh, well, I think for queer people, it's teaching them to love who they are. And know that they're worthy of love and belonging. Like really, truly know that in the gut of who they are. Um, and for the rest of society um, to come alongside and just love. Uh, it's a, a big part of the stance that I took in, in my book that I just released, Out of Focus, because um, that tells my story, but it's also a cultural analysis, you know, um, of, of the time. And part of the reason I took the stance that I did in outlining a lot of the things around eugenics and in the history of evangelicalism and the, the harms of periculture and version therapy and the importance of mental health. Like the reason I took all that stance was to kind of call out the complacency and the complicity of institutions that are doing harm to queer people in the name of God. And I think that is that is what's got to stop and that's where we've got to do the work is to end that harm um and and to end religious trauma for queer people mm-hmm. and to just love and radically embrace give them a give them a place of belonging wow so for the listeners when you hear me laugh like that it's not because i find it funny i my the laughter comes from the deep resonance like you feel the communion of what she just said there. That's, that is what this is about, right? It is, it's about allowing the, uh, opening the space up for people to love themselves innately as the divine beings as they are and know that we have a mission to end this religious trauma. It cannot continue, not just for our queer family, but for all of us, but in particular for the queer family, we are the ones that are at the, uh, at the end of that sharp stick 
that is used against, you know, what is defined to be holy or not holy. And so that time is way, 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 way overdue in, in recognizing that and bringing it into that. Um, wow. So Amber, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, what, what else you got going on? You've got the collective, you say you love to speak, you know, where, where do people find out about what you're doing? Uh, putting yourself out there, uh, you've got, where do people go? What do you got going on? Well, find my website's the best place to kind of get all the things. Um, AmberCantornaWild.com. Um, I'm sure that'll be in the show notes, but yep, that's kind of the best place to get um, information on all the things. I'm actually launching a coaching program in January so that oh. um, all these people that come to me with stories just like mine um, yep. and are looking for advice and support can actually get that now in more than just a couple of minutes or an email. Um, so I'll have one-on-one um, -on -one coaching available so that they can get, you know, six weeks, 12 weeks, one session, whatever it is that they're looking for to help get support um, and somebody with, you know, this experience to come alongside them and just help guide them, be a listening ear, support them um, where they are in their journey. So that is up on my website now. Um, and people can get information about that um, now and, and it'll be starting in January. Um, so the coaching is on there. Um, there's a, a, a ULC tab on there that they can link to that, the collective. Um, there's a link there to buy my book. It's out on paperback. It's out on ebook. It's out on um, audiobooks. So it's, it's available in all the formats. Um, and then I, yeah, I'm speaking and booking things for the new year. So um, if you live in a community where you would like me to come in and share my story or have a talk like this, um, either virtually or in person, you can reach out to me on, on my website there, get in touch. Um, and then just follow me on um, Facebook and Instagram, all the places to, to stay up to date. And what's your uh, handle? Uh, Amber Cantorna Wild. Yes. You've got it across the board, right? Yep. Nice and easy. So Amber, uh, wow. <laughs> thank you for a beautiful conversation. Yeah, thank you for being here today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radical Love Live, co-hosted by Mark Delcom and Kelly Wilson. All rights reserved. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and other popular podcast platforms. Go to RadicalLoveLive.com to learn more about us, watch recordings of our live events, and listen to our podcast. We also invite you to check out what Kelly and Mark are doing by going to our websites. Find Kelly at kellywilson.com and Mark at markdilcom.com. This is Radical Love Live, where we explore faith outside the boxes.